Hello and welcome to Animated Conversations, where we talk with brilliant creatives and professionals working in the animation industry. And I'm delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, Andy Blasdell, CEO of Cell Action, um, the fantastic animation software used on hit shows like Bluey, Peppa Pig and many others. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Um, glad to be here. Great. So could we start off just, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you got started in animation? Um, well, it goes all the way back to when I was at school and um, me and a friend, uh, Simon Lipovich, um, we started doing games um, and he would do the programming and I would do the graphics and the game design and things like that. Um, and we actually got a game published um, a long time ago. This is when we were doing our A-levels when we were 16 um, and so we were um, doing all of the the studies. Um, me not so much as, uh, as Simon. Um, and then sort of in the evenings we were uh, creating games. Um, found a publisher, got got it published. Um, got an, got into the top ten actually in the WH Smith charts. Um, wow. Well, yeah, it was impressive at the time to a, a couple of 16-year-olds, but um, years later I realised that um, it, those top 10 are, are manufactured and um, <laughs> they're just there as a marketing tool because actually we were top 10 before it had even come out. So, But we didn't realise that at the time. So, um, Right. But, but you must, there must have been uh, – you must something about it must have really caught somebody's eye, though. Yes, the buyers from WH Smith's um, – because uh, after that, um, having that uh, sort of bit of success and you know earning more money than anyone else was in our uh, class at, at school, we weren't exactly sort of the millionaire whiz kids um, that you had at that time. But you know um, we weren't enough um, to be sort of quite happy about it. Um, and then after that, Simon went off to university, and I actually went into the games industry full time, working for the publisher that published our games. So that's how I sort of found out all of the um, the secrets um, behind that. And, um, but yeah, they, they, it was a good game. They were happy with it. Um, and then I was working as a, uh, as I worked my way up to producer um, at, uh, at those game companies. So I did that for, for three years. Um, and then after that, Simon came out of university and he was you know wondering what to do. And so I said, well, why don't we continue our games development? And we set up a games development company called Divide by Zero. And we were um, started off doing sort of semi arcade type games, but then we our true love was in narrative and storytelling, um, and so we started doing point and click adventures. So we did a few of those right. for you know, Domark and uh, Psygnosis as well. Managed to get a number one on the Amiga, um, a, a genuine Amazing. number one this time, um, but. Um, yeah, so we did that um, up until 1997, and I was doing the um, um, the writing and the the producing and the um, the direction of the voice actors as well, and the animation direction. Right. So a lot of crossover with um, doing TV animation type stuff, and we were employing a lot of people out of the TV industry um, at the time because the games industry back then, um, this is the early 90s, um, was it was nascent. It was, um, there weren't a lot of very highly skilled people working in it. So you had, if you wanted really good artists, you had to go to, um, the TV and film industry 
Um, and we were based in London, so there was the, at that time there was plenty of those uh, about. So we were using you know top talent um, for our games. And then in 1997, um, the uh, we'd been working alongside um, uh, a few companies, and and a producer who was working for one of those companies, um, who we'd been talking about sort of making games with. Um, she came to us and said that um, she was working on a TV series um, and that they needed some some software for it. And this this producer was Claire Jennings, who um, right. did, uh, went on to do The Big Nights um, with us and worked for Ardman and um, I think Leica as well. Um, she's an amazingly talented person, um, got massive amounts of respect for her. Um, and she came to us and said that um, Mark Baker and Neville Astley um, – who were trying to get a series off the ground um, and had taken it to Cartoon Forum and done all of, of that stuff. And they'd finally got a deal with the BBC. Um, but they'd um, needed some special software to to do it. I think they'd done the original um, trailer on an Amiga in um, D-Paint, um, right. which is probably before everyone's time. Um, but uh, it was, it was, it, it was you know, very pixelated um but it worked um and they wanted to have their own software to do stuff and they'd approached the the big animation software producers at the time who had knocked them back and said well you're you know we're not going to change the way we do our software um for you so they went to um another software company and um did a deal with them and that everything was going fine and then when the deal actually came through with the bbc and there was uh, large amounts of money on the table. Um, somehow um, the relationship soured with their software company and they were stuck right. with a commission and a, a sort of delivery date with the BBC and no... And no way to exit. Exactly. Um, so rather than sort of go back and try and do it traditionally, all of their figures have been built on um, doing it digitally. Um, and this was in 1997, so there wasn't a lot of digital stuff going around. I mean, the first Flash series... Um, only came out in um, 97. So um, there was no way of doing it. So Claire came to us because we were the only programmers that she knew. And she said, do you know anyone who we could hire to write some bespoke software? And at that time, we were in between game projects. Uh, we had an agent who was um, going out and trying to get work for us. but um, And we'd done a lot of pitches to people, but yeah, it, was, it was hard back then um, to get something off the ground. Um, I mean, it's not particularly easy now, but um, um, we thought, you know what? Um, we already had our own in-house software that we were using to make animation for point-and-click adventures. And point-and-click adventures, it's all, it's all traditional animation, basically. So we um, thought, okay, well, we could take six months out and uh, just ad adapt our in-house software to be what, what Claire and Mark and Nev needed. So um, we said, okay, we'll do it. And we, we did the deal and started doing that. And it was, it was all going very well. And of course, um, you know, software development takes longer than you think it's going to be. And so we were still developing it um, by the time they actually started animation. Um, and then we were sort of having, because everything had been in theory up until then and uh, you know no no plan survives contact with the enemy. So <laughs> um, as soon as we started working 
the animators got their hands on it, then they had loads of suggestions, things like that. And there were certain things we hadn't finished that we thought were um, were not that important, but actually they they were. And it was just um, it, it was a bit of a mess to begin with. Um, but but it but it feels like it was potentially quite a productive. It chaos was, because, yeah, because we it, because because when you were describing that, I was wondering. I wonder whether. The, wonder whether they would have got such good results from going with more of the established animation companies that they were talking to originally because um i'd imagine because it was the first your first um go at this kind of particular area that you were keen to make it work and were probably um pouring a lot more time and hours and energy into into trying to make that work for them than they might have got from more of a traditional. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest difference was that um, they were they had episode deadlines. They had to, like, do an episode yeah. in, I think, a 10-minute episode in four weeks. Um, I think the first episode was six weeks. Um, and so they had to get everything done and then finished, and then they'd move on to the next episode. Whereas what we were used to with our software was, you know, we had control of the schedule and we could do any of the animation at any time. We could go to the end of the um, of the game, do the animation there, then come back to the beginning. So there wasn't any... Yeah, you could take a very non-linear exactly. approach. Exactly. Kind of- um, and so that was the uh, the, the real issue um, there in that, uh, you know, we, we weren't used to the fact that um, they were doing stuff um, on, on a deadline. Uh, and were there some hairy moments in that process? Yes. I mean, not uh, probably more for Claire. <laughs> I think she suffered the most because she was in charge of the, um, um, of the, of the scheduling. Um, right. But it was uh, it, everything that needed to be done, we got done um, sort of by the time it was needed. Um, so it all, it all shook out really in the, in the first few weeks um, that we managed to get everything and, running smoothly. And what were were there any particular points that you can remember as being areas that the animators were requesting that you that hadn't occurred to you when you were originally designing software? Well, yeah, I mean the the, the funniest one, which sounds really stupid now, but um, you know we'd been talking to um, animators for a long time. Um, and the way that they did sound was they would, you know, do a planet on a dope sheet and they would, they would be written out. Um, and we, it, di- it didn't occur to us that they would want to have the sound playing um, immediately at the, uh, as soon as they started doing the animation. Because, you know, the way we would have done it would be, okay, if you haven't got sounds, then you just animate the things that don't need sounds. You don't do any of the lip sync until a bit a bit later so right. we'd sort of put that on the back burner a little bit and yet um when the schedule was done it was like day one first morning they were doing stuff with dialogue and they were saying well right. why can't we hear the sound it's like oh we didn't think you needed that quite yet um so it was just you know, lots of communication things going, going back and forth so that, that was the the big thing that they they didn't have sound for the i think the first week um and right. <laughs> um which was you know kind of embarrassing um, for for all concerned, really, because it was just one of those conversations that you know they assumed um, one thing and um, we assumed another, and coming yeah, from often, different directions. Uh, 
And often it might be the one that everyone assumes is the most obvious. Exactly, yeah. That catches people out, yeah. really. But, you know, it was... Uh, there was a week of of panic, um, more for them than for us, because we knew how long it was going to take us to, to finish off the sound. We knew it wasn't going to take long. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's the sort of um, that that was our sort of baptism into doing tools for other people. Really, where you need the the um, the dialogue needs to be um, very very um, intense and cover all of those things that you need to do, even though, you know, you can't make any assumptions and you, communication is, is key on that. So that's, um, yeah, that, that was the, the big hairy moment. Um, and then of course, everyone was coming up with, uh, all of the animators working in the studio were coming up with lots of ideas saying it'd be so much easier if we could do this, or can we have a button that does this? And so we just had this flood of requests coming in because um, what Mark and Nev had um, sort of requested um, was yep. very much a high level type thing. There wasn't a lot of granular detail on it. So right. we, as we were developing it and testing it, we were adding more things to it that we thought would be useful because you know of our experience with our own animators that we'd employed. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that that was um, yeah that, that was a fun time. But I actually ended up working in the studio there. It was in uh, Great Marlborough Street, I think. Um, and, um, so I was working alongside giving technical support directly, but also more importantly, um, listening to the animators, you know, what, what they liked, what they didn't like, um, having discussions with them about how we could improve things, um, and going backwards and forwards with them. And that really did set us up for the future because we found out sort of live, um, how animators, think how they want to think about things um and what makes them the most productive so you know when you had things at that time like flash um that were done by programmers for programmers not really for animators at all animators made it work for them but not it, it was quite painful they had to sort of write a lot of plugins um before it became really useful absolutely my memory of of that period was it was kind of animators use taking a software program and trying to make it, uh, trying to kind of make it work for their purposes. Exactly. But it wasn't necessarily a software that had been specifically designed with all of those applications in yeah. mind. It was kind of made to And work. certainly not for TV animation. It was designed for internet animation, um, yeah, which has very different um, um, sort of limits, limitations. Um, so yeah, I was working in the in the studio, and this was still at that point. Even though we'd been working on it for a year, um, it, it was still a, a temporary gig for us. And we thought we were right. still going um, to do games, and we were still, you know, had some game development stuff. And did you still have some other games projects that were that you were working on in parallel with that? Yes, yeah, and we were also working with an internet startup as well, doing some technical stuff. Um, for them, so we, we had our fingers in a lot of pies, um, but um, of course, because it was a, a, a new studio in in London, um, where there was a huge animation industry, and everybody right. like loves Mark and Nev and Claire, and um, you know, uh, really wanted to see what they were working on because it was like using a new software. So. Lots of people coming into the uh, studio, and of course, all the crew were busy. So, and I was sitting there, um, 
helping out on on certain things, but mostly just sort of waiting to be um, sort of asked a question. And so they would say, yeah. "Oh, Andy, can you um, tell them about your software?" And it, it it took a while before I sort of realised, "Hang on a second, these people actually want our software, so maybe we should spin this yeah. off into a separate um, product." Right. Um, because people were actually sort of coming in and saying, "You know, can we can we use it?" And I was thinking, Great. "Well." Um, <laughs> no, because this is, a, this is a, a temporary gig. And then we thought, okay, yeah. well, maybe we, we should do that. Um, and so I, I think after that show, The Big Nights, um, after that went to air, um, we were talking to other companies like uh, Absolutely and Trific um, yeah. and, and also Folly March in France. Um, so those were our first three clients Um after that, right. and very, very different um, productions that they were um, doing. Um, Follimage were doing a short film with their artist in, in residence, and that was going to be on film. Yep. So that was very different to the TV stuff that we were planning on doing because um, you know, film at that time was 2K resolution, um, yep. and the, the TV stuff we were doing, it was one of the last series to go through that was still... Um, PAL 4.3. It wasn't widescreen at that right. time. But because um, they could see the writing on the wall, um, Claire, Mark and Nev were sensible enough to sort of plan things so that it could be um, redone to 16.9 at a later date. And of right. course it was um, a few years yeah. later. I mean, they had to get someone in um, to... Um, fill in the gaps of the animation, but all of the assets had been done um, to the right aspect ratio. They'd been done to 16.9 and they'd only used a 4.3 right, well, on it. Um, and so all they needed to do was, um, if characters um, were sort of leaning in from the side of the screen uh, in 4.3, they just needed to animate the bits beyond that um, that had yeah. been done because the animators, you know, they weren't going to do a whole load of extra animation in 16.9. Um, when they yep. knew it was the delivery was four three, but um, yeah, somebody did that. Well, I mean, somebody it was Andrea Tran, um, who's now running the um, Peppa Pig um, thing for E One, um, and he'd also been uh, he'd worked it with Selection before on um, Yoko Chikamoko Toto and Secret Show as well with uh, interesting. Colin and I wonder as well whether the timing for doing um, having the animation software for Peppa Pig, um, then that that was a real kind of felt like there was a bit of a wave of um, of animated series that followed that that were using cell action. And do you think you, you benefit from, for instance, somebody having worked on Peppa Pig, then they go off and make their own show, but they want to they want that continuity of the software that they've worked with on Peppa Pig. Do you think there was a bit of that dynamic? Oh, certainly. Involved? I mean, always people will use the software that they're they're used to um, or that they're currently using, so that they can iterate um, faster on new ideas. I mean, of course, the classic um, example of that is uh, Joe Brum. Uh, who did Bluey, yeah. and he'd been working um, on Charlie and Lola and 2D TV in selection in the UK. Um, so he was very, very used to um, um, using selection. And also um, he'd done uh, his sh couple of short films um, and, and working with his studio, Joe Harrow. I mean, they also did the pilot for Final Space as well. 
um, yeah. which was really excellent. Um, but um, you know, by the time they went into production on the, on the series of that, um, Joe was already sort of getting bluey underway. So um, right, um, went with, went with and that. Do, do you think that makes you quite intentional in terms of valuing relationships with creators that might be at the start of their career? Because you you know you never know whether it might lead to uh, another bluey sort of further down the well, line. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it's it's we don't plan it um, sort of in a in a cynical way. But what we what we try to do is um, allow people to do what they want to do, what they need to do for their their current production, and we do that by talking to them and finding out what they need, right. so that we can give them the good support. Um, on it, but also it gives us ideas for things to add to the software later. So um, that yeah, it kind of it feeds into the, yeah into the general research and development. Yeah. Um, so you know, we don't come up with any ideas um, by ourselves, really, um, or they're, they're evolutions of things that have been suggested to us by uh, other people, but without copying other software and the way that they do things. And this is one of the things about yeah. Selection is it does work differently to other software because we didn't copy the Flash way of doing it. Could it- well, and could we kind of just dive into that a yeah. bit? And would you be able to kind of talk about how it does differ from other animation software on the market? Um, so what we've basically done is we've separated the drawing from the animation side of things. Um, so it's more... Conceptually, it's more like 3D or stop motion, where you build a rig and then you animate the rig, but the animators generally don't get to mess around with the rig because the rig has to be reused by other scenes um, in other episodes and uh, things like that. And that normally freaks most people out, especially 2D animators, because they they want to be able to just go in there and draw something and to fix it. Um, But that is the least efficient way of doing... 2D animation it slows you right down as soon as you have to draw something you slow right down especially on a big team so what we do is we say okay you have like two or three designers um, creating all of the actual drawings and they'll draw in Illustrator or Flash or Photoshop or TV Paint Um, so you can have bitmaps or or vectors they'll create a lot of assets there which then get brought into selection you rig it in selection put deformers on it but the actual, all of the artwork is being pulled from those outside um, files so that you, yep. n- you don't need to have animators that can draw. They just need to understand posing and timing uh, and learn the software and then they can bring those rigs to life, um, whether they've come from a, 2D, uh, from a 3D background or a stop motion background um, because they'll have the posing and timing skills from that, but they won't... Right. Um, necessarily be able to draw in the style of the show it also means that you can have much more complicated drawings um with lots more texture and detail on that um, would be very time consuming for an animator to actually recreate within the um uh, if they're animating it frame by frame so you're doing the absolute minimum number of drawings that are required and reusing the heck out of them so that's um it's a, a bit of a a mindset shift from normal traditional animation. But when people commit to doing it that way, 
they are much, much faster and their pro- productivity goes through the roof and you can do things with much, much smaller teams than you'd be used to. And this was the thing about the big nights. You know, they did 13 by 10 episodes in 13 months um, with just six animators. Um, and then same thing with the first series of Peppa Pig um, was, again, 52 by fives in a year with... Um, six animators and a couple of designers so very very small crew but they're all people at the top of their game um and that that's fascinating and do do you think that that mindset was that something you brought with you from your experience in gaming or was that something that came out of that collaboration on big night well i think because we'd been game producers and we were reusing all of the assets i mean we didn't invent reuse, Um, you know, Mark and Neville knew what they wanted to do and they'd actually, uh, Mark had um, sort of tested the the concepts of what he wanted to do with with cutout animation on Jolly Roger, um, which was nominated for an Oscar. Um, And I think it won Annecy as well. And, but, um, They, my memory's <laughs> going because it was like twenty over twenty years ago, um, but um, yeah, he he tried out the look that he wanted, um, sort of traditionally, um, and knew that 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 he would be happy with that look, and that did mesh with the way that we were thinking because you know we were doing a lot of cutout style animation with games animation, you know, being as efficient as possible, right. and also we were trying to do things on a a shoestring budget um, for our, our games, and so we wanted that to be as efficient as possible. And so we, it, it was really in our DNA. I think um, you're right that um, you know efficiency uh, and not doing the same thing twice um, was something that you know, we were very passionate about. And um, you know, originally we'd wanted to do it for ourselves. But making tools, it was we were always looking for those optimizations so that we um, we could pass that on to, to other people. And saying, okay, you know, you've done this job twice. You know, actually, you don't need to do that. We can get the computer to uh, to do that for you, and then you can do it again. And if you embrace that in a production setting, then you can yeah, really reduce the cost, the total cost of production. Um, and that was what we were we're trying to do, but still maintain the creativity and the quality of the, uh, of, of the creative vision of, of what the directors were wanting. And do you think there's a benefit from, so out, sort of out of that collaboration on big nights, is there a, was there a way in which that optimization for efficiency also went hand in hand with, preserving and protecting the creativity of the show because you were working so closely with the producers and creators. Absolutely. I mean, um, we for every, any production, we start talking to people as early as possible, you know, right from the um, initial character design stage, if we can, um, so that we can give feedback. And it's not to limit people, but what we say to people is, you know, if you change that design just that little bit, um, you could save... X amount of time during the animation process and sort of things like, um, you know, if you rigged this a certain way 
um, and then rigged another thing the same way, then you can reuse animation between the two. Because not only, um, going back to reusing drawings, um, because it's rigged animation uh, and you're working with a skeleton, you can actually reuse the animation as well. And so that was one of the key things that um, people could use. And of course, everyone says, oh, we don't want to reuse animation. We want it to be, you know, every frame should be original and unique snowflake. But actually in the scheme of things, um, there's a lot of reuse that you can get out of things and you can make it invisible to the viewer um, because it's... Yeah, if you've got a character who's walking along uh, in one scene uh, with their arms down by their sides, and you've got a separate scene with a character who's waving their arm enthusiastically, you know you can copy that arm movement over to the character walking, and then they could be walking and waving um, at someone at the same time. And it, and then you can you can put it in there, and then you could just tweak it a little bit and just change it. Um, Absolutely, just fine tune and, and it. Yeah, and and also in some ways, creati creatively it's sometimes you want to have that um repetition particularly for comedy or preschool that there's there's something nice about having that familiar character walk cycle or arm movement there is i mean it becomes part yeah of, yeah it becomes part of their character i mean uk industry at that time was mainly doing preschool um for, for, for television um and so it fitted in perfectly with that but you know we were doing other things as well, like uh, 2D TV, um, which you know, was delivering a, effectively a new show every week um, with, a, um, with mostly stock characters that have been done, but they were having to invent new things at the same time. But things like walk cycles and stuff like that, um, you know, they could reuse animation um, from bet between different characters as well. And, th and that really helps them get to that point where they could... Um, come up with a script one day and actually have it in broadcast the next day or the, or the, or the day after it was, they, they could get it that tight um, on that because they, they were just thinking the mindset was just thinking, how can we reuse things and how can we work in the most efficient way? And so all of our clients really have that in, in common that they, they do think in terms of efficiency um, and organized stuff. So it's not so haphazard, um, as a lot of production processes are. Um, but when they do that, they really get the benefit from it and it allows them to iterate uh, and they can go back and change things right at the last minute. I mean, even on big nights, um, even when we had the, the DigiBeater in the studio ready to lay down the final um, thing, they were still making changes to the animation in the other room. Um, and the editor was going crazy, um, sort of waiting for it and we'd, we'd, we'd render it and then drop it in at the last minute. But that, that was unheard of um, at, at the time. And that's what makes the quality shows. That's why you get the really subtle animation, things like, you know, Peppa Pig and Bluey are so nice and so well acted because they can go back and refine the animation very, very quickly and tweak it um, very easily. And, and, just being able to do that and not just go with the first take, that really makes a difference in terms of quality animation. And, um, and you know, people do pick up on that. You know, viewers, you know, they're not animation experts, but they, they know when something works, when the timing works. Everyone's, everyone's got that sort of instinct, even if they aren't an animator. And so they, they find those things more watchable. Absolutely. And, and particularly with, 
elements of humour or comedy where it's so dependent on the timing of an expression. Or... Oh, Pepper's Blinks yeah. are an, a perfect example of that. You know, they, they would agonise over whether a blink would be, you know, one frame, you know, later or one frame earlier. You know, it, it was that attention to detail, but they had the time to do it because it was so easy for them to to change. Um, and also um, another thing that uh, that we could do um because you had the drawing separate separated from the animation is if there was a um a problem that uh with like a logo or something that was a bit too close to um a real logo in in real life um then you could just change one layer on one photoshop file and then just re-render the scenes and it would be done um so um, yeah, there was a few of those things that uh, that, that happened where um, it would go through compliance, and um, that some lawyer would have broadcast would go, "Hang on a second, that's a little bit too close to that," and then they'd really quickly have to go back and and re-render things. Um, but it, it all fitted into that. If you can iterate fast, you can change things fast at the last minute. So um, yeah, there's been lots of examples where we've had to. Um, to be involved with saving the day <laughs> um, where they've needed to make quite complicated changes to things um, because somebody changed their mind somewhere in the production process or someone realized that things needed to be changed. Um, and people come to us and say, you know, can you automate a system so we can run all of these episodes through it and make all these changes? And we developed all of these um, sort of tools which are in the software now everyone can use them. So everything we, we did as a sort of custom development, we put into the software so that everyone in future would be able to take advantage of it. And so it's just grown and grown over time to um, accommodate more and more sort of quite specific, but um, otherwise would be disastrous if they, if they were allowed to continue sort of situations. Um, and yeah, so I mean, people have got used to that you know being able to go back and and change things without having to let anyone down and of course that just makes makes for a better show absolutely i mean when you're describing that relationship with on pepper pig or big nights that very kind of close and collaborative relationship has that evolved uh, as the years have gone on in terms of do you are you still able to work as closely with teams on new shows yes or is that, is that kind of um changed at um all? well yeah you know, we get to know people personally um on on shows and, we, and we, we speak to animators at events and things like that and you know we do studio visits and and talk to people um and so we get to know um them personally and how they like to work um because it's it's always very dangerous if you have one point of contact in a studio um, that everything gets filtered through because the quiet people, um, you know, they don't speak up at all. Um, and so, and, and sometimes they have the best ideas, um, but they just, they're, they're so um, sort of um, introspective about it that they, they don't, um, they don't make a stink and sort of say, no, I want my feature done. And so we, over the years, we sort of specialized in sort of, you know, actually chatting to people um, and finding out, you know, what what would really make their lives easier. Um, and so, instead of getting everything filtered through one voice, 
um, we actually sort of get you know twenty voices um, on on the same production, and some of our best features have come from from those um, conversations that we've had with people. That then everyone has gone, wow, that's a brilliant idea. Um, where did that come from? And then we sort of point to the the, <laughs> the person in the corner and say, well, they came up with it. Um, and so, and we've always nurtured. Um, those relationships with people that animators can contact us directly, which, you know, some studios don't like that because they, they think that um, they are, um, dis- the animators are distracting us and we're not going to do the important things. But, um, yeah. you know, it it's important to, um, to hear all of the voices and to get all of the ideas um, in as... And, and totally, and, and, I, and I think that... And I think that recognises that, I mean, this isn't true of all animators, but many animators will fall into the category of being the quieter types that um, that maybe aren't often as kind of vocal about what they feel works or doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, that isn't yeah. true. I mean, all no, of them, no, I mean, but I mean, it's, it's, there are a lot of talented animators that um, can be quite, not shy, but kind of not kind of... Um, not in love with the sound of their own voice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, in many studios, there are people who uh, are really confident um, and know the software. And people always go to them with, um, you know, how do I solve this with questions with, with the software? Um, and they'll get that one perspective on how that one person wants to work. But we've what, what we've realized over the years is every animator works differently and there's not one special way of doing it. And that's why all the tools we put into selection, we keep in there. We don't um, deprecate any of the tools uh, unless they really are um, sort of uh, replaced by something brand new. But there's a lot of things in there that some people still like. Um, it's just, it just fits their way of working. So, yeah, if we've in, um, in, implemented something um, for those animators, um, you know, we know someone else somewhere at some point is going to like the way that that feature works, is going to prefer using that to to the other ways. So, you know, we don't want to homogenize the software and have one way of working. We want to have lots of different ways of working. So, and then you just choose your favorite um, method and you'll be a lot faster when you're animating in it because of that, because it's it's working the way that you think. Right. And th- sort of following on from that what are the big challenges for you in terms of developing and maintaining the software um it's well it's always trying to do everything that we want to do um because there's there's only a finite amount of resources that that one has and we've got you know 15 years ago our to-do list was at about a thousand items and it hasn't actually right. gone down from that because for every everything that we implement, someone else comes up with a great idea or we come up with a, an improvement on something. And so it always stays around um, the thousand mark. Um, maybe it's higher than that. I just don't look um, beyond that because it's too scary. Um, but you know, we've always got something to, to do, something to work on. Um, and with every new production that comes in, there's, you know, pe- people will come up with ideas and just say, you know what, you know, we couldn't do this before in any animation software, but it'd be really good if we could do this. And then we go, oh, that's, that is a good idea. Um, and so we'll try and implement that for um, for the new show. Um, or they'll be trying to do something that um, it gets very heavy and they want a more efficient way 
of doing it and they'll just you'll just say okay we're running into a bottleneck here in production um can you think of a way to fix that and then we'll go away and uh, and come up with an idea of um doing it more efficiently whether it's a software fix which is um normally part of the solution but also in a in a workflow fix as well and you know right. because we're always talking to everyone we know how the production is is structured and how it's going um and we can say okay well we can see that um you know things are weighted towards this department here and if you shifted it a little bit or changed the timing of doing things then you could make it more efficient i mean we don't have to do that quite so much nowadays because our, our clients are so good at what they do um that um, the obvious stuff is always done already but people don't know what they they don't know um and so things that we could do in the software that we know we can do, but they don't know, it's not occurred to them. So, you know, it's it's bridging that gap between um, what they think is possible. They're working within those um, parameters and what we think could be possible because we can change the software to make it work um, in, in that way. So, yeah, the communication really is the most important thing. And we we maintain that by having very, very good support because, you know, we don't work with every company in the world. Um, our, our client base is sort of the size that we're happy um, with it being so that we can give them the best support um, and so that they can be, you know, the big heavy hitters um, like Pepper Pig and Mr. Bean, you know. Um, yeah. And um, Bluey as well. Um, so that's by enabling them to to do those those big shows that keeps us um you know in in a good place where we're working with people on the cutting edge um yeah. all the time um and we're coming up with new ideas all the time and, and are there any particular features that you're looking at introducing now that are kind of part of that development uh we never talk about new features until they're actually done <laughs> because it's because you never know when things are going to take longer um, or yeah. um, actually more the case is we come up with a better idea um, while we're developing something um, in, in a certain way and we're sort of thinking uh, that, that sort of makes us think oh well hang on if we're doing this couldn't we do this um, and we're really yeah. thinking outside of the box and um, and so then we sort of change the whole idea and it becomes something completely different. It can still do the thing that we want to do in the first place, but it's a very different way of, of approaching it. Um, and you know, if, if we sort of say, Oh yes, we're doing this, we're doing it this way, then that sort of sets people's expectations. And, it, and in a way it kind of limits them as well because they think, okay, we can do this. So we're just going to work within those parameters. But we, because we're working with people very early on in shows, we can actually, um, change things before it even gets to in, into production, um, Got it. and that can that can improve things massively. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and I completely appreciate that. I noticed that something you shared recently on um, on LinkedIn, I think it was, was a a fan oh, film yeah, yeah. Um, for Bluey. Yeah. Um, could you kind of talk a little bit about that? Um, for the benefit of the listeners and then maybe also kind of add any advice that you might have for kind of aspiring animators sure yeah well um 
someone came to us um, and they just wanted a, a, a license of some action and the, the training course. We do this quick start course, which allows you to learn the software in about 24 hours of, um, of, of work. Um, and they wanted to learn software and didn't say what they were actually doing on it. So, you know, we, we um, sold them the, the course as, as usual. And then um, they started coming to us with, uh, with questions and things about it and, yeah, which is normal. Um, and we were helping them uh, along that. And then they said, well, um, how, how would we, uh, we're, we're, tra- we're trying to do a, a, a bluey fan film. Um, right. And, you know, of course we know exactly how bluey is made and how it's all rigged and things. And, and we, we can't tell people how to do it. Um, yeah. But um, they were asking the right questions and I, I could see that they were working out sort of um, a similar way to the, to the way it was done um and just the, the quality of it was was just um really good um and so that our software can be rented on a month-by-month basis so um i think that they did it for two months and then came back to us a couple of months later um and were showing us um can you show us they, they said to us you know can can we show you what we're, we're doing and i said yeah yeah um so that they showed us some sample animation and it was really nice really well observed um that they'd sort of nailed um how the bluey animators do do things in terms of the animation um and yeah a few weeks ago um they sort of said yeah we've finished the film now um do you want to see it and said yeah and and it was it it was that uh, monster mask thing which is uh, um on on youtube um and yeah, it, it was a labour of love on on their part, and um, a lot better than a lot of the other fan stuff that I'd seen for Bluey, where people had you know used other software to do it and to, made compromises, and they they weren't really they're they trying to get the spirit of Bluey, but not trying to actually nail the look of it as um, as closely as uh, as this team was. So. Um, yeah, it, it it was it was great, and so I I felt um, you know that I should sort of tell people about it. And so in, in terms of you know um, you know we, we like to see original stuff as well from people, um, um, but you know fan films are a good um, as well as long as they're not infringing on copyright. But that's that's a whole yeah, another absolutely. Um, issue. But um, you know just doing stuff because in you love way, it. In a way, kind of it. It, it sort of feels like it's, I don't know, it's it, potentially though, those are young creators that might be inspired by Bluey to create their, their own series or format. So Yeah, I mean, um, there's a, uh, there was a, a thing done by the Bluey crew um, in, their, in their downtime called Happy Place, um, right. which features on our latest um, showreel. Um, but um, there's a lot of Bluey... DNA in in that pilot um it looks absolutely amazing um and i think they're trying to get it sold at the moment but um but yeah so i mean for individuals um i i think you've you've the, the takeaway from um that fan film is you've got to put in the effort and you've got to decide what you're going for um, whether you are trying to um, 
emulate exactly um, the animation style or whether it's just in spirit. Um, but you know, work out what you want to do because I mean, what 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 they nailed in that fan film was the was the animation style, but also um, the sort of getting you in the feels. Really, um, it was yeah. very emotional, well thought out, and um, I mean, I don't know um, the, the the creators of it, you know, it, but it felt like a personal um, statement. Um, it, it was just really um, heartfelt, um, and so that, that that was clearly what they were going for. Um, to get the mood and the animation right. And so if you're doing anything, whether it's a fan um, thing or your own thing, you've got to work out what you're actually trying to achieve. Um, You know, whether you're, whether you're trying to make a good story, whether you're trying to make beautiful animation. I mean, of course everyone's trying to do everything, but you know, focus on what is going to be, um, Focus on what what is most important to you, and then put the effort in on that. Don't try, don't compromise on anything if it's that important to you. Um, yeah. Because once you start compromising on things, um, then everything sort of starts lowering down to that level. And if you can do one thing very very well, then you know. Don't compromise on that. Yeah, compromise on everything else if you if you have to. But you know, if if you're if it's a labour of love or you're trying to be noticed and get work from it, if it's like a showreel or something like that, um, do the best job that you possibly can on that one thing, and then people will notice that. You know, um, especially people in the industry, um, because uh, if you're trying to do sort of, comedic animation you know as we know from south park you know the the animation can be crude but if you get the timing and the scripts right um then that doesn't matter it's still you know people will see it for the the comedy um and they won't worry about anything else so uh, i mean like you know again in that the bluey fan film they didn't have voices on it it was just subtitles um you know because that wasn't what was important to them um or you know they were working within their limitations yeah they could have done voices yeah. themselves um but um but they didn't they chose not to and yet it still worked because the it was the the concept of it and it was the animation of it that sold it to the viewer um so yeah focus and put maximum effort into that um because people will then um understand and um and, and see where your qualities lie um and and you see a lot of things where everything is a compromise and it just um it doesn't stand out nothing really stands out um and so pe- things become forgettable um and you don't remember the name of the person who did that film with the fantastic you know um, yeah, whatever. And it, I mean, it, it almost goes back to your design of the cell action software. It's about making choices, isn't it? And, oh yeah, and committing to those choices. Yeah, and being brave enough to um, to do what you know is important to the project, 
and not do things that, um, not do busy work and not do things that um, are um, not that crucial. So you be totally focused on um, what you need to do um, and, and what your end result is going to be. Um, so, you know, we make some quite brutal decisions in terms of efficiency. Um, you know, we could copy other features of other software that look fantastic when people are demoing them. Um, but actually, when you've got to sit down there and animate for a year, um, those features, often you don't use them because they're not efficient enough um, for you. So, um, you know, we, we take those hard decisions and sometimes it costs us sales. Um, because we're not doing something that's really flashy um, that that the kids love, um, but we'll do something that the producer will love, <laughs> um, and um, the animators will love when they've been doing it, you know, for eighteen months. Um, you know, they'll be happy that they've got that feature in there um, because it's going to save them a ton of time. And it's going to enable them to sort of get home to, to leave, leave the studio at six and uh, get home in time to see their families. Um, you know, and that's what we focus on is productivity, um, without compromising on the, on the creative vision. Um, and, you know, and we're not, as a company, we're not marketing oriented. We're not sales oriented. We don't have a sales team. We don't have anyone earning commission, um, for selling our software at all. Um, because we, we want people to speak to us directly, um, so that, you know, we are accountable and responsible. If we say, that the software can do something or that it will be able to do something, then we mean it and it, it will be able to do that, that thing. We're, it's not going to be some salesperson making lots of promises that we can't um, keep. So, you know, we're as, as a company, we're sort of small um, and very efficient. Um, I'd like to say perfectly formed, but you know, um, we do, we do the best we can. Um, but it's, you know, it's kept us going for over 26 years now amazing and it feels like that really that you've been consistent in terms of that relationship with the production teams the producers and the animators from the very start so that kind of is yeah i mean that's going to continue to run through your sort of dna um all these years later the feedback we get is that they can rely on us um and if we say we can do something then we will do it um, and that's really important because you know the last thing you want to be worrying about is your the tools when you're doing an animated production. You don't want them to fail. Um, you need them to be able to do everything that you want to do. Um, and also when you throw in curveballs as as well. Um, so like it, a, a later episode in the series, um, the writers might have gone nuts and done a montage sequence and a crowd sequence and things like that. You know that was never considered when they were first pitching and first budgeting um, the software. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, that they can um, say to the writers, you know, settle down. You know? <laughs> um, we're not going to do exactly that. But sometimes it's such a good idea that they want to put it in. And so um, the the tool set has to be able to do that. Um, or at the very least, if it is a completely crazy um increase in in the workload um there has to be a workflow that enables that to be done and because you know we when we're doing games we're doing the production process we know what it's like to actually um create 
things and to, to change your mind in the middle of something and have to, to uh, redo a load of stuff. Um, you know, we appreciate that. And so and our knowledge of the production workflow within studios enables us to be able to give good advice tied in with the software advice as well. So um, we're kind of unique in that respect in that the, the people who are doing the programming actually also understand um, the animation process as well, because, you know, we, we did do that um, for, for a long time um, and we are very sympathetic to that. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's worked very well. Um, and in terms of um, you know, our strengths, we do lower the total cost of production massively. Um, you know, some people um, have said that we've been able to halve their production costs. Um, I mean, that, I think that's um, uh, in an ideal situation. Um, you know, normally about a third, I reckon, that um, uh, from all of the other uh, solutions that are that are out there, um, and it does make a huge difference. Um, because if you can keep the same budget but increase your productivity, that means that you can actually make a better show. Totally, that's great. I mean, I think that's a fantastic place to uh, to end the chat on. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a really, really interesting. Conversation. Excellent. Yes, it's been fun. Great. Thanks, okay, Andy. Cheers. Bye.